Hello and welcome to this Alan and Overy podcast. My name is Hilaire Bedier and I'm an associate in Alan and Overy's London Funds and Asset Management Group. Today we're going to be talking about some of the key upcoming regulatory changes which asset managers and funds should have on their radar as we move towards 2023. And joining me in the discussion today are Emma Danforth, who is a partner in our London Funds and Asset Management Group, and Kadrina Constantinescu, who is a counsel in our Luxembourg Funds and Asset Management Group. Thank you both so much for joining. Um, so, Kadrina, the hot topic at the moment seems to be the retailization of funds. Could you start by explaining what people mean by this? Sure. As we all know, professional investors generally dominate the alternative fund space. But retailization is the opening up of the alternative fund space to retail investors. Maybe just a quick reminder regarding the term retail investor. Under IFMD, the retail investor is an investor that does not qualify as professional investor. The test to be a professional investor and for retail investors to opt up to being professional investors set quite a high bar for being professional investor, as this negative definition is very broad and captures a huge number of potential investors out there. And so why is everyone talking about this at the moment? Well, it is the combination of the developing appetite of retail investors for alternative strategies, as well as the sheer number of potential investors in this largely untapped group. The European Long-Term Investment Fund, also known as the LTIF, and the proposed amendments to the current LTIF regimes are seen by many as a key development in enabling managers to tap into this part of the market. To give a brief history on the LTIF, it has been introduced in 2015 in response to industry demands for an investment vehicle suitable for long-term investment that was open to retail investors and that benefits of a pan-European marketing passport for such retail investors. Whilst there has been some uptake by managers and some large asset managers used the LTIF product for developing the retail market offering, uptake has been limited with only 79 LTIFs having been set up in the EU and with 43 of those set up in Luxembourg. Okay, so I suppose not the largest numbers at the moment. And what do you think the reason is for such a limited uptake? Well, the main reason for these are the overly prescriptive investment rules, such as a borrowing limit of 30% for LTIFs, regardless of whether they are retail or non-retail LTIFs as well as the complex eligibility and marketing rules. The good news uh, is that a reform of this product is now on the point of being finalized at EU level. And this goes definitely in the right direction with uh, remedying some of these barriers. It's fair to say that at the moment, the entire founding industry is very excited about that. The new regime will enter into force in 2023. Okay, so that sounds like a very exciting development. Um, So 
you've spoken about these changes. How significant are these changes to the LTIF rules? And do you think that they're enough to enable LTIFs to really open up the alternative space to retail investors? First and foremost, the LTIF reform introduces a real distinction between retail and non-retail LTIFs. And this basically removes a good number of the diversification restrictions for non-retail LTIFs while making them better suited for professional investors. Also, the reform adds great flexibility to the diversification restriction for retail LTIFs. In addition, certain of the more onerous marketing restrictions in relation to retail investors will now be waived. However, some requirements, such as the MIFID suitability assessment for marketing to retail investors and the need to issue a PRIPS kit, will be retained in order to protect uh, retail investors. Okay, so I suppose they're making some things a bit easier and some things are staying. Um, Emma, um, is this something that your clients are asking you about quite a lot at the moment? Absolutely. I think whilst, as you flagged, the number of LTIFs out there actually is pretty low. And historically, I don't think our clients were that interested in them. Pretty much every UK asset manager we meet with at the moment wants to discuss LTIFs and views them as a serious option for their 2023 product pipeline. Okay. Well, I suppose that's very exciting um, for a lot of the market. Katrina, are there alternatives to the LTIF route uh, for approaching retail investors with alternative investments, or is that kind of the only one at the moment? No, there are a number of alternatives. Um, in Luxembourg, the Luxembourg Part 2 UCIs are at the moment a very attractive option used by retail investors to get exposure to alternative strategies. However, to access retail investors outside of Luxembourg, managers are reliant on the local placement rules in each jurisdiction, in each European jurisdiction. And those rules can be time-consuming and expensive to meet in many EU jurisdictions. Therefore, the Luxembourg Part 2 UCI route has certain disadvantages. However, if the Part 2 UCI route will be combined with the new LTIF regime, then the product will become very attractive for retail investors and it will benefit of the EU passports. Other structures, such as nominee structures that are set up by private banks in order to invest in alternative funds and funds of funds, are also used at the moment. Thank you so much, Kadrina, for your insight from a Luxembourg and EU perspective. Moving to the UK, Emma, what are the options for marketing retail funds in the UK post-Brexit? So you might remember that immediately post-Brexit, if an EEA fund wanted to market to retail investors in the UK, the only route available, other than setting up a UK authorised fund, was by becoming a recognised fund under Section 272 of the FISMA regime a route which has historically been little used and generally considered to be lengthy and onerous with no guarantee of success. Following successful lobbying by the asset management industry, the UK has launched the Overseas Funds Regime, the OFR, which came into force on the 22nd of February this year and is intended to offer a fit-for-purpose alternative. Whilst technically in force, note that the FCA is still working on operationalising the OFR, so it's not quite ready to be used in practice yet. Um, just going back to, to you, Kadrina, very quickly, 
Do you think that the OFR will be attractive to EU fund managers who are trying to market in the UK? Yes, indeed. Once the OFR regime will become operational, certain Luxembourg investment funds, such as Part 2 UCIs that I mentioned before, will be able to use it in order to get access to UK retail investors. And Emma, so this OFR, how exactly does it work? So under this regime, the Treasury can approve specific countries and then specific types of collective investment schemes from those countries as being equivalent. And to do this, the Treasury needs to be sufficiently comfortable that investor protections are equivalent to those in the UK and there need to be the usual supervisory cooperation agreements in place. Once the Treasury has made that decision, an operator can apply for the recognition of a specific scheme. So, for example, once Irish USITs are approved as a country and USITs are approved as a specified scheme, the manco of any individual Irish USITs could apply for recognition. Does this mean the end of the Section 272 regime? So it means we're going to have two parallel regimes. Whilst funds which fall within the OFR have to use this regime and can't apply for Section 272 recognition, the Section 272 route will continue to be available for individual retail schemes not eligible to be recognised through the OFR. Okay. And uh, will overseas funds that are falling in the OFR, will they be subject to FCA supervision? So the FCA won't act as a supervisory body, but it will have powers of inquiry to ensure such funds are adhering to UK law and regulation. And it's worth noting there are some additional UK rules that will apply. The FCA won't act as a supervisory body, but it will have powers of inquiry to ensure such funds are adhering to UK law and regulation. Note that there are some additional UK rules that will apply to schemes using the OFR. Okay, so on these additional UK rules, so and while on the topic of the UK, obviously Brexit is still um, something that we're talking about a lot. Where do you think, and this is quite a big question, where do you think the UK is post-Brexit? So you might recall that when Brexit happened, the UK effectively onshored all of the kind of body of EU legislation. And so from a legal and regulatory perspective, very little has changed in the UK. The EU onshored legislation still dominates the UK regulatory environment. However, it looks as if this might be about to change. The Financial Service and Markets Bill earlier this year is intended to kickstart the exercise of creating a domestic framework rather than the one comprising legacy EU law. And as part of that exercise has opened the box to consider changes which could be made to the UK framework to make the UK more competitive. So what does this mean for the concept of equivalence? Is that off the table now? So I think, yes, there's definitely a clear shift of focus from preserving the conditions in the UK so that equivalence could be on the table to this new goal of making the UK more competitive. It's worth noting that when we talk about making the UK more competitive, we're talking about doing so while still ensuring strong investor protection. And there's no plan to move to a kind of Singapore on Thames with light touch regulation. When we think, start thinking about the kind of nature of these changes, it feels that the scale of these is going to be more along the lines of removing certain requirements and making tweaks here and there, rather than a full wholesale rewrite of the UK regulatory system. From speaking to managers, whilst there is certainly enthusiasm for launching new products to fill gaps in the market and removing specific parts of the existing regime which are viewed as being unduly restrictive, and there's little appetite otherwise for implementing an entirely new regime. So you mentioned Singapore on Thames, which we have heard a lot about as speculation. Obviously, that's not the right plan at the moment for the UK. But how uh, otherwise can the UK become more competitive? 
Do you think it's fair to say that at the moment it's a work in progress and it's in the early stages? The Financial Service and Markets Bill is still working its way through Parliament. So there's nothing imminent um, that, that I can kind of flag to you today. However, it is worth noting that the kind of seeds of this exercise were sown quite a while ago. For example, in our sector, the asset management industry, the Treasury's Asset Management Task Force was set up in late 2017 with the objective of creating a thriving asset management industry. And this has ultimately led to a review of the UK funds regime, which concluded in February of this year. The next steps from this are a focus on ensuring the tax efficiency of UK structures. The first bits we're starting to see already with the kind of new quack regime and changes to REIT regimes, and also working to explore options for the introduction of a new unauthorised contractual fund scheme aimed at professional investors. However, these kind of all look to more the aspect of what new products can we launch, because rather unhelpfully, at the time of the call for input, it was outside the scope of that exercise to consider what changes could be made to the existing UK regulatory framework. So that paper doesn't consider what we could be doing in changing all of that onshored EU legislation. And I suppose the EU is also looking uh, at how to be competitive. And Kadrina, if I, we could just ask you uh, quickly, is there a similar drive to be competitive that's being felt in the EU? Certainly. There is a lot more dialogue at industry level and between the industry bodies in order to get competitive products at EU level. Therefore, there is, as I mentioned already, the LTIV reform, but also an IFMD reform that is currently ongoing. And Emma, has the UK proposed any retail regimes that are similar to the LTIV? So in November 2021, the UK authorised the Long-Term Asset Fund, which provides an authorised open-ended fund structure to enable investment in long-term illiquid assets whilst offering appropriate structural safeguards. Originally, this was limited to professional investors and high-net-worth individuals, but the FCA has published a further consultation paper earlier this year proposing changes to the initial rules and, in particular, these look at broadening retail access. A final policy statement is expected on this in early 2023. And so I think here we're seeing a very similar pattern to what's been seen with the kind of LTIFs and broadening out the ability and the use of those in the retail sector. And staying with the UK for a bit longer, the other topic that a lot of people and certainly our clients are talking about is ESG. And where is the UK now on ESG? So in exciting developments, the long-awaited UK sustainability disclosure requirements, the SDR, is finally on its way. Okay, so they're finally here. That's very, very exciting. What exactly is the timing for this? So the consultation paper published by the FCA a few weeks ago sets out the core elements of the SDR, and this will be initially applying to UK asset managers in relation to UK best funds and portfolio management, and there's a view to expanding their scope in the future. The FCA will be collecting responses until the 23rd of January 2023, and expects to publish final rules by the end of the first half of 2023. It's expected that these rules won't come into effect until June 2024, so it's still a little bit of a journey to go. Okay, and so we have these two regulations kind of sitting side by side. So we have the UK SDR and the EU SFDR. So how do they compare to each other? So I think as expected by most managers, whilst there are significant similarities, there are also very clear differences. And fund managers marketing products into each of the jurisdictions need to prepare for the fact that there won't be harmonised disclosures. I think to pick up one example, if we look at the labelling, um, SFDR picks up on the Article 6, Article 8 and Article 9 terminology. Well, you can really see how the UK has built on SFDR and what's been learned from that implementation exercise 
and it's proposed a clearer classification and labelling system. We have sustainable focus, sustainable improvers, sustainable impact, and no sustainable label. And I think to draw this out slightly, the sustainable improvers is quite interesting category because this is designed to address the question that came up a lot in SFDR implementation exercises of how do you categorise a fund that looks to buy products that are currently not very environmentally friendly, but ultimately turn them into being much more environmentally friendly. And so this is a really positive impact and it's good to see the kind of learning and developing has been going on. In relation to the actual content of disclosures, this bit yet hasn't been made available. And as with the EU SFDR implementation, this is likely to contain the critical detail. And so, Katrina, um, so Emma has mentioned how you know, the UK SDR is building on the EU SFDR and maybe uh, making things more streamlined and, um, and applicable to market. From the point of the EU SFDR, is there anything in the pipeline in relation to that regulation? Yes, indeed. The market is very busy at the moment uh, on uh, completing the pre-contractual disclosure RTS by 31st of December 2022 for unregulated funds. And the regulated funds are in the process of liaising with the LUX regulator, the CSSF, in the context of the fast track process that expired on 31st of October 2022. So the market and we are uh, very busy at the moment with those updates. Maybe another trend that we should mention is that the market orients itself towards Article 8 and 8 plus classification for the funds. And this will clearly continue. Thank you so much, Emma and Kadrina, for joining us and for your insights. And thank you all for listening. For those who would like to find out more about proposed regulatory changes for funds and asset managers, please go to the Allen and Overy website in the asset management and funds section where further material can be found.